Well, good morning. Again, we were just waiting for uh, uh, waiting for her to get to church, and she finally got here. So we'll get we'll get started now. Uh, but again, it is good to see everybody here this morning. I'm glad we've got a church family that we can laugh and love one another, and that's what families are for. But uh, when heartbreak comes to families, we're burdened and broken for those in our family. So we want to remember uh, Alice Fay and all of her family. Brother uh, Ronnie's service was yesterday, and uh, those of you who are widows, sadly, you know what she's going through. You've walked that road, and so you be praying for her, and you come along beside her. And I'm so thankful for our widowers and widow ministry that we've begun, uh, that we can help uh, through God's Word uh, encourage those who are going through uh, this time in their lives. So you pray uh, for her, and be mindful of uh, Al Jolly's family. He passed away uh, this past week and so that service will be today at three and so you remember them to be praying for our invitation today i'm very excited even though it's a difficult day and a hard day in which we're living uh certainly uh the mission has not changed and god has called us to keep being faithful uh, no matter the circumstances around us uh, to what he's called us and commissioned us to do so you be praying for one another in these days and let's be mindful of all the opportunities uh, that are ours. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now as we do each week. Ask for God's leadership over this service, over our hearts, and over our lives today. So let's pray together at this time, shall we please? Father, thank you for this day. God, for your goodness and for your faithfulness. Father, you didn't promise us another day, but here we are. This is the day that you've given us, and God, we're rejoicing in it. We're glad for this opportunity. Father, I pray that even though the enemy would try to cloud our minds and our hearts with all kinds of things that really have no eternal value whatsoever to cause us to miss what you have for us today. Father, I pray your precious Holy Spirit will keep us steadfast and centered and alert and to listen to your voice today. Father, I pray for those that are going to sing. I give you thanks for all the preparation that has gone in during this week uh, to prepare uh, our worship service this morning. And Father, I pray that, and we give you thanks, Lord, that there is such great talent in this church. But Father, we ask today, though, that your Holy Spirit would energize. And Father, that you would work through every heart and every mouth. And that, Father, you'll be glorified through what is sung and through what is played and through what is done in this place today. Father, I pray as we turn to your word, to a very familiar passage of scripture, God, you will speak to us fresh today. Father, what a time we're living in to renew ourselves with the things that we already know, the fundamentals of the faith. When the enemy tries to cause us to look past those things and to get away from the foundation of what being a disciple of Christ is really about, God, turn our hearts back to your word. And might we be doers of it in this day. God, I pray as I do each week, as we come to a time of invitation, if there's someone who's never been saved, God, they'll turn and trust you today. And every believer will leave with a greater commitment, a greater surrender to see your will fulfilled in their lives and through their life in these days. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through it all. It's in Jesus' precious and his holy name that we ask all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scotty. Let's all stand, will you?
Brother Scott, y'all just stay where you're at. You know, they're canceling everything in the country right now that uh, seems to honor God. And friend, it won't be long till they're going to come after the Bible. They're going to try to cancel it. They'll try to call stores to be able to not carry God's word anymore. But the Bible says one of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And they can't cancel that. There's not a presidential word or decree. They can't ram it through Congress. What God wills to do, he's going to do. I want Peggy to sing that second verse again. I love that truth, friend. One of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And I don't believe it's going to be too long. And so in that time, friend, I want to live for him, honor him, and I want to be found faithful when he comes because he's coming again. And nothing anybody can do is going to stop that. Jesus is going to come again. Sing that verse again. Clouds of hey. glory, the saints of every race shall behold his face. Then with him into heaven's city, let the world proclaim what a lovely name. Y'all sing with us. Let's sing.
great truth. Grace May, thank you uh, for that this morning. Please be finding your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to step away from our studies in the Minor Prophets uh, to at least after Easter. And uh, I may save the entire book of Malachi for uh, once we enter back into the sanctuary. It really has some things to say to us about living a commitment, uh, the commitment we made when we trusted Christ to be Lord of our life. But this morning we're in Luke chapter 5. We'll begin to read in verse number 1. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, an all-in disciple. An all-in disciple. Luke chapter 5, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 5, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the Word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he, that's Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. Oh, God, as we pray each week, Lord, it's not a mindless prayer that we just utter we truly, God, pray that if there's someone here who's never been saved, someone who's going to listen to this service later uh, from our website or a tape that's given to them, someone who's never turned and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, God, we pray right now that your spirit, as they're hearing these words, would begin to convict them of their lostness, their need for you, their need for salvation, their need to have their sins forgiven their need for Christ's righteousness to be imputed to their life. Father, we pray before this service is concluded that they'll turn and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. And Father, we pray you'll challenge your church today. Lord, we'll really take inventory of our hearts today and see whether we just see Jesus Christ as our carpenter or the captain of our life. And Father, I pray if there's someone who is not living a fully revived life, God, their sin... There's uncommitment. There's places where they once served you, but they don't anymore. For whatever the excuse that they've allowed Satan to put in their mouth, Father, we pray that they'll surrender afresh and anew their whole life, God, according to your word, what you say an all-in disciple is. 
God, I pray you'll continue to expand our vision. God, you will continue to lead us uh, as we seek to fulfill your great commission. You show us, God, you, you show us where to cast the net. You show us where to move the boat. And I pray, God, that we won't give you the excuses. We'll simply give you obedience. Bless this time. Your will be done in our hearts and lives. We'll thank you for what you're going to do. We trust as we submit our lives to your will. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. You know, it is a difficult day in which we're living. Can't have a conversation with a brother and sister in Christ and somebody just lost, but that still is a patriot that, that really believes in how our country was founded, what the Constitution means, what it provides to each individual. It's a concerning day unless you're just a far-left liberal. And if you're a far-left liberal, that's here. Now I hope you'll get saved and you'll begin to see life through the lens of God's Word and not through the politics that you've adopted. Uh, but if you, really, if you really love the Lord and you love His Word and you love the things of righteousness, it's a difficult day in which we're living. It's a difficult day in the world. And you really you come, you, you have a choice when you become overwhelmed with the headlines which represent facts of the news, things that are happening. As a believer, you can quit. You can just say, you know, I'm done. I'm just going to wait for the Lord. I'm just going to shut myself off. Or you can have the heart uh, and respond to the call of Christ that he gave to the church, Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Remember, Revelation chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 are seven distinct letters to seven distinct churches. But they also represent seven eras in church history. And we're certainly living in that last era, the Laodicean whatever, bless me if you can, I'm going to go where I'm least challenged, don't tell me anything that's going to convict the way I want to go in my life, church in which we're living today, church era. But in the midst of that, Jesus still speaks to the church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me to that apathetic and different church that was made up of apathetic and indifferent Christians who just quit, they turned away from their surrender and their commitment to Christ. Jesus says, I'm not done with you. Though the whole world may be turned away, I'm still calling you to be surrendered to my Lordship. The, the mission is not changed. And though you are overwhelmed with things that want to cause you to faint spiritually, Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. And I want to come in daily, moment by moment. And as you faint spiritually, I want to revive you and restore you and reinvigorate you. And so you've got a choice every day just to quit or to keep opening the door and let Jesus just con to continue to revive your heart and life. And if you've been reading through uh, the Bible, you know, we've been in the book of Joshua. Just like Joshua says, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Well, he had to make a decision for he and his house. And I've got to make a decision for my life every day. God, that's the life that I want to live. And you've got to make that decision for yourself. God, that's the Christian I want to be. I don't want to become uh, depressed and bitter. I just want to be filled with your spirit and keep pressing forward in faith. And in that, faithful to the mission, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. That's what I want to be a part of as it relates to your word. God, I want to know your word. I want to stow your word. I want to show your word. I want to sow your word into the hearts and lives of others. That's the kind of all-in Christian that I want to be, a follower of Christ. Remember back at 2.4 says, the just shall live by his faith. 
And so it's going to take faith to live that kind of life and to see Christ live through you. It takes faith in His Word. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, the author of Hebrews says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And someone says, well, I just don't understand all the things that are happening in the day in which you're... Why would God allow... Friend, it's not up for us to understand. We don't have to understand. What we have to do is have faith that God's in control. He is sovereign. He sits upon his throne. And I'm going to bear this out on Easter. Remember, Jesus looked at Pilate and said, you'd have no power at all unless God had given it to you. Friend, I'm telling you, the president, the vice president, the Congress, any leader, Republican or Democrat, they wouldn't have any power whatsoever unless God allowed it. God is still in control. And that takes faith. Just to trust that God has a plan and that God is in control. What he calls of us is not to understand, but to walk and to live by faith. To be an all-in disciple. We need that kind of faith that moves us out of the shallow comfort zone. Uh, faith, faith sings that song we love so much, you know, the, the God on the mountain. It's, it's easy to trust God when the sun's shining on your life, when it's buy one, get one free every day. Huh? You know, doctor report, cholesterol's down, you're feeling great, no headaches, no pollen in the grass, everything is just wonderful. It's down in the valley. That's when our faith is really tested. We need that kind of faith that moves us out of the shallow comfort zones, out into the deep, all independence and commitment and a surrender to Christ's lordship. And to be that kind of all-in disciple that Christ wants us to be, three things. Number one, you must sincerely trust God's plan for your life. You must sincerely Trust God's plan for your life. Not, well, I kind of trust. No, sincerely trust. I mean, you just, you're, 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 you're all in in your trust in what God is going to do in your life and wants to do. Look, look at our text again in verse number 1. Jesus has began his public ministry. And now he's beginning to teach. He's beginning to reveal things about himself. Who the Messiah is going to be what he's calling people to do. And as we'll see next Sunday in Palm Sunday, that he didn't come to be their political leader. He came to be king of their hearts. He's beginning to reveal things about himself. And so there's a multitude, a crowd. There's quote-unquote disciples, okay, that we see in John 6. They're there for the food and they're there for the show because there's always miracles happening. And so it was that as the multitude pressed about him, verse 1, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the sea of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them, and they were, they, were washing, they were washing their nets. Well, some of the fishermen were Peter, James, and John. Well, we know that Jesus had already met them. In, in John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42, uh, John the Baptist had already declared, uh, in John chapter 1, verse number 29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Jesus has been baptized, verse 28 of John chapter 1. The very next day, he saw Jesus coming again. He says, that's him. Two of John's disciples are with him. He said, that's the Lamb of God. That's who I came to point you to. And some of the people that were standing there with him that day, two that were there, uh, verse number 40 of John chapter 1 says, one of the two that heard John speak that said, this is the Lamb of God, they followed him. And one was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
Verse 41 of John chapter 1 says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, but you're going to be called Cephas. You're going to be called the stone. And so the following day, they began to follow Christ. They went with him uh, to the wedding in Canaan where he began his earthly ministry. And so now some time has passed. There's some days that have passed. This is important between that first meeting. This wasn't Peter's first meeting with Jesus. He knew who he was. He saw what he did at the wedding of Cana. He heard the words, John chapter 2, verse 5, where Jesus' mother said, look, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You may not understand, but just do it. I gave birth to him. There's something different about him. He's the one. And so they knew who he was. But Peter and the boys had returned to the old life. They weren't all in yet. And so Jesus had a message for them. And so he began to teach out of Peter's boat. He saw the boat standing by the lake. They'd worked all night. They were washing their nets. Verse 3, look at your text in Luke chapter 5. And he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to push out a little from the land. Well, that was twofold. One, he needed a little space so he could teach. Uh, at our last church, we began an outdoor ministry. And we had free bass tournaments. No, no entry fee whatsoever. You just showed up. We had people who had donated the prizes. And so, you know, no one had to pay. They just showed. But you had to be there for the pre-tournament meeting. All right? Which was at 15. You weren't there for the pre-tournament meeting prior to, prior to blast off. You couldn't fish. With the pre-tournament meeting, I always shared the text. And I gave an invitation. And we saw a lot of people come to know Christ through that ministry. One of the great things was I got to stand on from a bass boat and preach the gospel. It was awesome. You know, and so they had all these fishermen just crowded around. And they were, they were listening. Some didn't want to be there, but they wanted to fish. But it didn't matter. We had them there, and we gave them the Word of God. Well, that's what people were there and didn't even know why they were there that day. There was just a crowd. You know, it was the new thing in town, this guy, Jesus. He turned water into new wine at the wedding of Cana. There's something different. And so they'd pressed in. So he pressed, out, he, he pressed out into the water a little bit. But the second thing was this. He got Peter all hemmed up. The only way he could get away from him was to swim to shore. You know, and I, I was, that's a great way to witness somebody. Just take them fishing. If they want to get away from you, they got to jump in the water and swim to the, swim to the shore. And so he's got Peter right where he wants him. And so he begins to teach. He begins to share some truths, as he says, to push out a little bit. And so Peter's captive. Now listen, when it comes to fishing on the Sea of Galilee, a few things are true. Number one, you fished at night. That's because they didn't have rods and reels, they had nets. And the fish would come up shallow at night. And so the men would get there with their nets and they would begin to hem them up. And so you fished at night, you fished all night, and then number three, if you didn't catch anything, you just went home. You didn't keep fishing because it was daylight and the fish went out deep. That's, that's what happened on the Sea of Galilee. You, you especially didn't fish during the day, and you especially didn't fish in deep water. Those are things they had never done before. Those are things that in their own plan and in their own understanding and in their own experience, they wouldn't do. That's how they had always fished. But now Jesus is in the boat, and he's 
beginning to teach, he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. Look at your Bibles, verse number 3. And then verse number 4, he stopped speaking and he looked at Simon. And now he's going to have an object lesson. And he says, I want you to launch out even deeper. You've pushed out a little bit from land. I want you to push out into what you consider deep water. Water that you would never fish in. Launch out into the deep. And then secondly, he tells him, I want you to let down your nets. Well, Peter's response is going to determine the outcome of what's going to happen. If he just simply begins to give excuses and say, Now look, I know you're a carpenter, and I know you turn the water into wine, and I know John said you're the Lamb of God, but now listen, I know how to fish. I come from a family of fishermen. We fished all our lives, and we've made a living thus far fishing. Don't tell me how to fish. I know how to fish. But that wasn't his full response. He just simply informed him. Verse number 5, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Look, it's just nothing's biting. Now, they didn't bite. They corralled. They netted. They, they used the nets to corral the fish, and then they caught them that way. But he says, look, there's no fish, and there's certainly not going to be any now. The sun's up. They've gone, they've gone deep. We fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. You're telling me to start fishing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And so that word, nevertheless, listen, that revealed his heart. He did not sincerely trust Christ's plan. Well, I'll try it. You know, and look, I'll confess, I've been there. Men, you've been there. Your wife comes, she's got the answer. You're trying to put it together. You're trying to make it work. And then she comes and says, well, have you tried this? Right? Like you think you know. Well, have you tried this? Hey, listen. I've been putting these things together since before I met you. I, but I'll try it. I'll try it. And that was the response Peter gave. Lord, look, we fished all night. I've been fishing all night. Nevertheless, we'll let down our net. He didn't sincerely trust. He didn't have faith that Jesus had a plan. That was their plan, to fish all night. That was their plan. But now Jesus is revealing his plan. And it makes us wonder, why hadn't they gone to Christ and asked him how to fish before? They saw what Jesus could do. They saw the knowledge that he had. They saw the miracles that could take place from their life. Why didn't they take that part of their life to Christ? and say, can you teach us how to be better fishermen? Was it because they thought that he was going to tell them you're not going to fish anymore this way? Because that was what ultimately was going to happen. Was it simply a pride issue? That they wanted to be controlling of their life? And I believe sincerely that's the reason that most Christians won't turn to the Word of God or turn to God in prayer with parts of their lives because they know that God will shut a door in their life. If I ask God about this, God, now, do you want me to do this? They're afraid of what God's going to tell them because they already know through the conviction of the Holy Spirit they're not supposed to be doing that. They're not supposed to have that in their life. Or they are supposed to be doing something. And so, you know, it's the old adage, ignorance is bliss. But, friend, it's not for the, for the Christian because the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And I'm telling you, the most miserable person on earth it's, it's not a lost person. It's a Christian that's out of fellowship with God because they've got unrepented sin in their lives. They're not 
fulfilling what it is daily that God calls them to do. So apparently they'd never come to Christ and asked about their fishing business, how they could be more effective in that business. They had turned away from that initial meeting and they were fishing again. But there's, there's not a part of your life, friend, that God wants you to keep that he's not concerned about. Now listen, that, that central part, don't, don't listen past that. There's not a part of your life that God wants you to keep that he's not concerned about. There's some parts of your life right now, if you're out of fellowship with God, that he's not concerned about because he doesn't want that in your life. A lot of people have so filled their calendar, they don't have time for God anymore. They've got so many extracurricular activities, so many commitments to family. There's so many things that they love more than Jesus Christ that they're giving their time and their attention to that they don't have time to fulfill what it is. They don't have time to live on mission. They don't have time to serve in the local church. They don't have time to read their Bible of morning. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to call and check on their neighbor and see how they're doing and to be a source of encouragement because they filled their schedule with all this stuff. With all this stuff that they want to do. And they just believe because of contemporary Christian teaching that God just wants them to have all that because what they want to have. The question really is, what is it that God wants to have in your life? And those things that are there, he is concerned about. He's concerned about. He wants you to experience his best. But you need to know there's some things that God doesn't want you to have in your life. God didn't, Jesus didn't want Peter to fish for fish anymore. He wanted him to fish for men. And to continue to fish for fish, he wasn't going to be able to do with what he was calling him to do. Such a misused and misrepresented passage of Scripture is Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. We're through Jeremiah to a nation that was going to experience God's chastisement in 586 B.C. because of perversion of the worship of the one true God, oppression of the poor, they didn't love the Lord anymore, with all the heart, soul, mind, strength, they didn't love their neighbors, their self anymore. God was telling them, I'm not done with you. Even though you're going to experience my chastisement, I'm going to bring you back. There's going to be a remnant that's going to return. We're going to rebuild the temple. Through the ministry of Nehemiah, we're going to rebuild the wall. You're going to have the opportunity to be a kingdom of priests unto me, Exodus 19. You're going to be able to be what I've called you to be. God says in verse number 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So many people read that at graduations and they read that at weddings and say, you know, God has, God, God has plans for us. He knows the thoughts that He has for us. So you just follow your heart because God, God's going to be in all your todays and all your tomorrows. No, friend, God has a plan for your life. It's His plan. It's not your plan. If you're going to experience the abundant life, John 10, 10, that He wants you to experience, you've got to surrender your plan and sincerely trust in his plan. Because he's concerned about you. He has a plan for your life. God says, I, I know the thoughts that I, that I have, the, the plans that I have for you. But some things to think about. Number one, think about this situation. Peter was in the same boat that Jesus was in. Okay? He was able to hear him. He was able to be taught by him. He was able to experience this miracle because Jesus was in his boat. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus in your boat? Not do you know Jesus, but has there been a moment where you responded to the call of the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ came to live in your heart? 
It's not about do you know him, but does he know you through a personal saving relationship and the person of the Holy Spirit lives in your heart? You're never going to be able to experience God's plan. You're never going to be able to experience anything, friend, except eternity in hell. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and that's the danger here in the South. Most people here in the South know just enough about God to be dangerous. Just enough. Listen, I'm telling you, I had rather witness to an out and out hellion rebel that's never darkened the door of church that's addicted to dope and alcohol than to try to witness to a lost person that's a member of the church. Because they're so full of pride, they're so full of church membership, they're so full of their religious pedigree. Well, Daddy was a deacon, and great-grandpa cut the timbers for the church. Whoop-a-dee-doo. Do you know Jesus Christ? That's what matters. And see, most people in America, they've experienced so much blessing because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. They've been prayed out there. Listen, Lot didn't escape Sodom and Gomorrah because of his prayers. He escaped it because of the intercession of Abraham on his behalf. And so many people have escaped dangers and hardships because somebody else was praying for them. And they've had light blessing in their life because somebody in their family had the Holy Spirit living in their heart. But friend, I'm telling you, one of these days, especially at the rapture, the Holy Spirit's going up. When we go up, the Holy Spirit's going up, and you're going to be living in utter darkness. And so what determines whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven or not is not your religious pedigree and how long your mama prayed and she had knees like a camel because she prayed so long. The question is, does Jesus Christ live in your heart? And Peter was in the same boat that Jesus was in. Is he in your boat? And number two, he was in position to hear the words of Christ. He had him hemmed up. There was, listen, there was nothing that separated Jesus from Peter. He could hear him. You say, well, I'm in his boat, but can you hear him? Remember Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, I won't hear you. And friend, you won't hear him. All you're going to hear is this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. The Spirit of God's going to be convicting you. You need, I've heard, that's this adage, I've heard, well, now, preacher, I know, I know. Great, you know. Do something! Stop sitting and talking about what you know, but do something. I know I need to get back in church for you. I know I need to read my Bible. I know we need to be there on Wednesday night. And I know I need to witness. I know to him it knows to do good and do it not to boss us. To him it is sin. Do something. Deal with the sin, friend. And then you can have a renewed relationship where you can hear from God. He's going to hear you. The Word of God, as you begin to read, it's going to come alive. The still, small voice of the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And God can lead you into the depths of His will and in your life. Peter was where he could hear. But third, it really comes down to the question, do I really want to hear God's plan? Listen to me. Do I really want to hear? I'll never forget in two ways. One, I had to get a root canal several years ago. So what in the, listen, it's never been the pain in my tooth that hurts. It's the pain right back there where my wallet is. Amen. That's what hurts when you get a root canal. I can deal with the tooth. Woo! But anyway, I'll never forget this. I was sitting there waiting to get called back. And just listening, I heard a woman having a conversation with one of the receptionists about where they went to church. 
And so, you know, I'm a good eavesdropper. So I just got real quiet. And acted like I was doing something. And I turned me. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, I had to find me a church where I could drink. That's what she said. Well, evidently she was already a church where she was drinking. That wasn't the question or the problem. What she wanted was she wanted to find a church that wouldn't preach God's word about total surrender and the holiness of Christ. Be holy for I am holy. That's what she meant. See, she didn't want to hear the whole counsel of God's word as it related to her. And there's a lot of people that are never going to discover God's plan for their life, and I'll tell you why. They don't want to know God's plan for their life. They've already determined where they're going to live and how they're going to live and the way everything's going to be and what their job's going to be and what their retirement's going to be and what they're going to do in the church and what they're not going to do in the church. They've already determined all this. And they don't want to hear any different. And friend, I'm just telling you, if you don't... Peter wanted to hear from Jesus. If you don't want to hear from God, you're not going to. You won't. And so to really you know, sincerely trust in God's plan... You have to want to hear it. You have to want to know it. Psalm 86, in verse number 11, I love this verse. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This was, a, this was an individual that was at the end of their rope, and they said, God, I don't want to walk in my own counsel anymore. I'm tired of the way my life is. God, teach me your will. Teach me your word. And then, God, I'll walk in it. I want to know how you want me to live. I want to know how you want me to talk. I want to know how you want me to be a husband. I want to know how you want me to be a pastor. I want to know how you want me to be a friend. Teach me how to do it, and then I'll do it. Peter had to sincerely trust in God's word and in God's will. You see, friend, Jesus is more than a carpenter just to fix the leaks in your boat. That's the way a lot of people see Jesus. He's my carpenter. You know, I've got, I've got somebody. You know, from time to time, we've got problems at the church. I'll call the chairman of our building grounds. I'll call Rex, and I'll say, hey, Rex, um, we've got a problem that you got an air-conditioned man. I've got an air-conditioned guy. i got a guy. We needed plexiglass for all these big spit guards that you see up here that we put in front of the singers. I called Rex. I said, Rex, you got a plexiglass guy? i got a plexiglass guy. Well, a lot of people, they've got a boat leak guy. It's Jesus. I mean, that's why I trusted him. When, when water starts leaking in my boat, bad report from the doctor, hardship, kids drive me crazy, relationship problem, bosses against me, I get a leak in my boat. Well, I just call my heavenly carpenter and he patches the boat. I keep sailing the direction I want to go. That's what I keep Jesus for. Friend, listen, it comes down to this. Is Jesus your carpenter or is he your captain? It's one or the other. And Peter had to sincerely trust in God's plans and realize that he had more than a carpenter. He had the captain of the sea in his boat. But he needed to be the captain of his life. He's the God of all knowledge. Peter says, look, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. Nevertheless, we'll try it. Verses, you say let out deep. They're out deep. You mean they're out deep. We were up a shallow all night. Boys, we were in the wrong place. No wonder we didn't catch anything. We weren't where he wanted us to be. That's where we'll go. That wasn't his heart. Nevertheless, he begins to push out. Colossians 2, 3 says, God's the God of all knowledge. Friend, listen, that means he has the answer for the predicaments that the devil's going to throw 
in front of your life to keep you out of God's will. God has the answer to everything. And so while it may be troubling to watch the news, friend, I just say, God's got an answer for that. He's got an answer for that. He's already got a plan for that. He's already working something. God's, listen, he's got it together. He's got it together. He's the God of all knowledge. We have to sincerely trust in that. I don't know if you're ever watching these house renovation shows. We watched a little show for a while, and then they all just began to be cookie cutter, and we just we got tired of it. We quit. But it was about these people up in Maine that redo these lake cabins for people. And they'll never fail. They'll come and show the dilapidated cabin. They look, say, you know, we want this, 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 and this. What's your budget? It's this. And then they'll say, all right, well, all we need from you is the keys. And they're like, well, just surprise us. And you know that's a lie. You know they've already got a plan. You know, just surprise us. But, you know, sometimes I don't know. Because they'll hand them the keys, fully trust them what they're going to do, and they'll be gone. They won't see anything. They're and sometimes you'll see everybody be walking through, and the husband, he'll be trying to put on a good face. Oh, this is great. But you'll catch the wife, and she'll be like, you can tell she doesn't like what they did. She doesn't like the colors. But some folks, listen, they just hand them the keys and say, look, we've seen the other houses you've built. Just fix it. We know we're going to love it. That's total surrender. That's sincerely trusting the plan. That's what God, listen, not desires. We're living in a day where a lot of people think, well, now, if you want to give Jesus your life, no, friend, God demands. He demands that we bring our lives under His captivity. Lordship is not optional. It's demanded, and it's deserved. And we bring the keys of our life to him and say, God, whatever you do with it, whether I've got to move, whether you redo my schedule, whether you take extracurricular activities away that are keeping me from fully serving you, whatever you do with my finances, whatever you do, God, I fully trust you. Here are the keys. I sincerely trust your plans for my life. Number two, if you're going to be an all-in disciple, not only must you sincerely trust God's plan for your life, but you must expectantly obey what he calls you to do expectantly obey, not, well, nevertheless, well, boys, drop her down. It'll only take, it'll only take a few minutes. It'll only take a few, don't embarrass him. Just put the net down, put it down. We'll try it for a second. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I've, I've you know, talked about the wife. You know, well, a kid or grandkid walks up. You know, say, hey, Papa, you know, try this toy tool. Well, just, just act like you're doing something with it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just take, just, nothing's going to happen. Just, just try that's the way a lot of people treat when God calls, calls them to do something. Well, God, I'll try to witness, or I'll try to do this. I'll try. And you don't expect anything. All you see is what you see through eyes of faithlessness. If you're going to be an all-in disciple, friend, you have to expectantly obey what he calls you to do. Reluctantly. Look at verse number 5. When Simon answered, he said to him, Master, we've toiled all night, and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. I'll, I'll let it down. Had he, had he, I wonder if, if he remembered the words of Christ's mother again, John chapter 2, verse 5. Whatever he says to do, listen, just do it. Had he forgotten the miracle of the wedding at Cana? And listen, friend, there will always be things that seem impossible. Listen, it seems impossible to me in the day in which we're living to stir people up and keep them committed to the Lordship of Christ. You say, why do you see that? Because you see the evidence played out. Listen, years ago, people just showed up to church. Now you almost got to shame them to show up. Call, drag, encourage, you okay? Are they upset? Are they mad? 
I mean, it seems impossible. But expectantly, we just keep serving and trusting that God will build His church in His way and in His will. It seemed impossible to Sarah that God was going to send a child, so much so that she was eavesdropping. Not to say that's what all women do. I told you I was eavesdropping at the den. So I couldn't help it. I mean, she was loud as she could be when she spoke. But as Sarah was listening to the conversation that God had with Abraham as he fed him that day, just prior to Abraham interceding for Lot and his family there in Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, look, I'm going to wait till both your bodies are as good as dead. To where there's something in your marriage that was once there that's not there anymore. He said, and I'm going to show up and I'm going to touch your bodies and I'm going to get all the glory. He says, you're going to have a son And Sarah began to laugh, verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child once once I am old? Now listen, what God says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? My friend, there's not. There is nothing. You say, but now you don't understand. Friend, there's no buts. There is not an obstacle in your life that is too big for God. What he calls you to do, friend, he will equip you to do, and he will accomplish it in his time and in his way for your good and the good of others and for his glory. And so letting down those nets, it required faith, but it also required, it required sacrifice. They'd already washed their nets. And Jesus was telling them to put it back in the water. They'd already cleaned them. If you didn't wash your nets, they would begin to break and, and, and the, they would shrivel. They wouldn't last. They had, to, they had to give care to their equipment. Well, now they had to re-wed them again. It took time to be a part of what God was talk, calling them to do. It took energy. I mean, they were wiped out. Friend, listen, the work of ministry will wear you to a frazzle. Physically, mentally, spiritually, it'll do it. Now listen, you're my church family, and I love you, and I know you love me. But you know I'm telling you the truth sometimes. Some people absolutely wear you down to nothing. An old man told me when I first got into ministry, he said, son, you're going to love ministry. It is a privilege, and it would be even more of a privilege if it wasn't for people. That's what he said. And so the work of ministry will wear you down. So they were already tired. They had worked all night. And now it was going to require more time. It took their time, it took their sacrifice, and that's what expectantly obeying God first calls us to do. You've got to do your part. You've got to give yourself to God's plan, whatever it is He calls you to do. Remember, again, it was from our quiet time this morning, if you've been reading through the Bible, God had given the land to the nation of Israel. He divided it out. They they would receive it under the ministry of Joshua, but they had to do their part. They had to go forward, fight, and claim it. God has called, He's given us the victory over every spiritual obstacle. But Ephesians 6, 13 through following, we have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to stand. Having done all, stand. We have to be clothed with the holy armor, and we have to do our part. God will give us the victory, but we have to do our part. You don't do your part, There's no catch. There's no harvest. There's no outcome that changes things and glorifies God. They had to claim it by obedience. And so God had had already given them victory 
Peter just had to let down the net. That's what God wants you to do. Listen, to grow closer to God, listen to me. You've got to study. You've got to pray. And you have to obey what you're learning. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because everybody's going to raise them whether you mean it or not. Do you want to grow closer to God? I mean, do you really want to grow closer to God in your personal walk with Him? The old song that never gets sung anymore, nothing between. Nothing between me and my Savior. Nothing between. Is that, is that really what you want? Then it's going to take time. You're going to have to give time. to. That means you've got to stop something else that you're doing and give time to the study of God's Word. It takes time to pray. And it takes obedience. God wants to work through you and accomplish something through you. Listen, I mean, accomplish something that lasts eternally. He wants to do that. But in order to do it, you've got to discover, you know, what it is that He wants you to do. You've got to discover your spiritual gift. Learn how to use it. You've got to study. You've got to become skillful in how to employ it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to obey what God's calling you to do. God wants to share His gospel through you so that other people will be saved. You've got to study the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. So you can point people to those scriptures and tell them what the Bible says it takes to be saved. You've got to have that mindset. You're constantly focusing. And if you're looking, if you're, if you're mindful, looking for lost people, you can't be thinking about other things. You have to have a mind that is tuned in to what it is that God's calling you to do. You've got to build relationships with lost people. That means you've got to spend less time with saved people and invest more time in the people that need to hear the gospel. Not being influenced by them, but trying to influence them to Christ. It takes time. It takes effort. But it takes an expectancy. Expecting God to do something. Nevertheless, it was obedience with no expectation. Just going through them. Well, let's go to Sunday school and open the door. Maybe somebody will show up. Well, here we're to Juana. I'll be a listener. See what kids... Verses... Now I get to teach Sunday school this morning. Somebody's going to come, maybe I, their life's going to be changed. There's a lost child that's living with two no-account parents that care less about things of God, and if they do, they're so focused on their own life, they don't really care if their own child dies and goes to hell. But for 15 minutes, I get to sit with that child and share God's Word and encourage them and let them to see the love of Christ through my life. And maybe, just maybe, that's going to be enough for God to work for them to be saved. That's expectancy. Verses, nevertheless. Peter just, you know, well, I'll try. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Friend, it is a promise of God's Word that in God's time and in God's way, if you serve the Lord and you sincerely obey what He calls you to do, you sincerely trust at some point He's going to load the boat. He'll do it. But it takes an expectancy that keeps you serving and being faithful. And I'm telling you this, friend. I'd rather fish and catch nothing than sit on the bank and do nothing. And people show up Sunday after Sunday in churches all across this country and just sit and do nothing and spectate. I'd rather be in the boat casting the net and catch nothing because Jesus said to do it. Trusting and knowing that one of these days, friend, he's going to load the boat. And be in the center of his will. Attempt great things for God, and He'll do great things through you if you yield your life to Him. 
And the Bible says in verse number 6, look what happened. And when they had done this, when they had obeyed what he called them to do, they called a great number of fish, their net was breaking. They called their buddies to come so much so, it was about to sink two boats. Obedience always leads to ultimate blessing. Third, and I close. If you're going to be an all-in disciple, completely surrender to his lordship. Now, did you catch that first word? What was it? What? Not riding the fence, but completely. See, completely surrendering to his lordship, that person doesn't even have the mindset of, well, I've got my hell insurance, but I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. I'm not going to listen to all that judgmental talk. That's just judgmental tell me what I've got to do, man. That's just church just judge. That's judgmental. That's judging. Y'all never heard that before? Yeah, because I've heard it for 20 years. That's just judge. That's just judgmental. That's just legalism. What that is? That's le- that's legalism. My friend, Jesus said, "Be holy, for I am holy." That means our lives are to be brought completely under the captivity of his lordship. He owns it all. We give him the keys. The Bible says in verse number six, when they had done this, they called a great number of fish. He signaled to their partners, and, and the other boat had come, other boats came to help him. And they, they came and they filled their boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he didn't just see the feet, he saw himself. He didn't just see the accomplishment of the fish. He saw who he was. I didn't trust him. I can't believe after everything I've already experienced and seen. I mean, the dove came from heaven. It landed on him. John said, this is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. We were at the wedding. We saw the miracle. And somehow I'd forgotten all that. When he saw what had happened, he fell down on his knees. He's humbled himself in repentance. And he said, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He realized, he said, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your plan. I don't deserve anything. The only thing I deserve is an eternity in hell. That's broken humility before God. He said, God, you're holy. I'm sinful. Verse 9, for he who and all were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which which was taken. He realized what his heart had been. And not only that, friend, what he had almost missed out on. He'd almost missed out on it. Now think about this. How many things has God called you to do? But instead of nevertheless, it's your will, I'll do it. You're like, well, now that's never going to work. Now they won't listen. God's led you. You need to go talk to this neighbor. Well, now they're not going to listen. You need to call this family member. It's not safe. One more time. People have tried. You know, we've been trying. We've fished all night. We've been trying for years to witness to him. Huh? You need to invite this family. Well, we've been inviting them for years. We need to... No. He was faithful and he experienced the harvest. How many harvests have we missed out on because we weren't obedient to do what God called us to do? Only the judgment seat of Christ will tell. But that's in the past. The future's before us. The future's before you. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that he wants you to expectantly obey? Peter realized, man, what he had almost missed out on. In verse number 10, as he begins to humble himself, Jesus said unto him, now look, don't be afraid. Before, listen, before he even tells them what he's calling them to do, he, says, he knows, he says, now don't be afraid. What I'm about to call you to do, 
you're not going to be able to be self-dependent making a living anymore. What you're going to call you to do, you're going to have to break your daddy's heart because the family business is over. What I'm going to call you to do, your friends and family are going to think you're absolutely nuts. Your mother may not approve. God forbid. You're going to actually have to cut the cord, which is the hardest thing for people to do in East Tennessee and Western North Carolina, and actually live a life that is completely separated to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't be afraid. Look what he says. From now on, you're going to catch men. But now, Lord, all our lives we've been catching fish. That's what you used to do. Now you're going to catch men. He says, I've got a plan for your life. And are you going to be all in? And so look what the Bible says in verse number 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. And they brought to land what they had always worked out of. Literally, friend, it was symbolic of they brought their lives to shore. So we're not going to live that way anymore. He's calling us to a different life. We're going to do it. And they forsook all. They forsook the family business. They forsook self-dependence. They forsook their family's approval. They forsook their community. They forsook everything that had, they had known, the comforts of all of it. And they followed Jesus into the unknown. And that's why he said, don't be afraid. All these things that the devil's going to try to whisper in your ears, but how are you going to make it? What are they going to think? He says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Just follow me. Just follow me. They left behind everything, and they followed Jesus. That's an all-in disciple. And friend, in these last days, listen to me. It always has been the only hope, but it's still the only hope. The only hope a lost and dying world has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has called us to be the mouthpiece the hands and the feet. He's called this local church to establish ministries that are about the fulfillment of the Great Commission, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. In order for those, those, those ministries to be fulfilled, it takes staffing. It takes people to work in those ministries, to be the hands and the feet. As we move forward, listen, listen to me. The ark's going to settle sooner or later. The water's going to dry and we're going to walk out of this ark that we're in right now. And regular ministry is going to begin again. It's going to be different. There's people who were here before the ark started floating that they're not here now. They got in a different ark. And the ministries are going to continue. And God's going to call some of you to do some things in Awana and in Sunday school, in the choir ministry, discipleship. Other areas of ministry that you've never done before. You've never fished that way before. He's going to call you to do that. And, and, and the question is, whether you're going to be the all-in disciple that brings your boat to shore, forsakes all, and says, Lord, we'll follow you. Whatever you call us to do. Whatever he calls us to do. So this is my question this morning as we go to invitation. Now listen to me. Everybody look at me. Don't pack your purse up or... Close your Bible and think about what's going on. Listen to me. Are you an all-in disciple according to Christ's definition of what all-in really is? Let's bow our heads. Friend, you can't follow who you don't know.
You can't begin to follow Christ if you don't know Him. Has there ever really been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sin and by faith trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? If there's not, friend, you may know about Jesus Christ, but you don't know Him through a personal saving relationship. You don't. But He loves you. And He died on the cross for your sin. He made the way that your sin can be forgiven. And He wants to come live in your heart and give you life and life more abundantly. That's His perfect plan, the life more abundantly. But first you need spiritual life because a dead man and a dead woman can't do anything. And if you've never been saved, that's what you are spiritually. You're dead and trespasses to sin. But if today you'll choose to turn from all your sin, turn to Christ, believing He died for you, that He rose again, and trust Him to be, here's the key, listen, Lord of your life. You'll give Him the keys and say, do whatever you want to with my life. I'll follow you. If you'll do that today, he'll save you. Tell him so right now where you sit, just like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave. And with all my heart, I want you to come live inside of me and be Lord of my life. I surrender all my plans, all my traditions. I don't care what my family thinks. I don't care what my neighbors are going to think. I don't care what anybody thinks. I just want to follow your plan for my life. And I surrender myself to your Lordship today. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you really meant it. Brother Ray Hyman's going to be standing over here to your left and to my right this morning. He wants to pray with you and encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Step out when Peggy begins to sing in a little bit and go talk with him. He wants to, all he wants to do is encourage you in the decision that you've made. You realize you're saved, but now be honest. You recognize this morning through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you're not all in. You once were all in, but you're not now. You're not. Friend, to him who knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Don't leave here with that same uncommitment. Surrender your schedule again. Surrender your abilities. Surrender your life. Surrender everything back to Jesus Christ today. Bring your boat to shore. Forsake all. And leave this place today following Jesus Christ as an all-in disciple. Father, I pray you'll challenge your church today. Holy Spirit, really speak to us and help us answer this question. Is Jesus my holy captain or just my heavenly carpenter to get me out of the pinch? God, speak to us. Might the lost be saved. Might the backslid experience revival. And might each of us further surrender our life to Christ's Lordship and leave an all-in disciple. It's in your precious and holy name we ask these things. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you need to make a decision, you need someone to pray with you, step out. Ladies, you need someone to pray. Miss Marilyn will pray with you over here. You step out. You respond right now.
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You've probably heard that song your whole life, just like me. You've heard that song your whole life. You can just sing it over and over. But I want to ask you, do those words truly reflect the condition of your heart today? Friend, if there's anything there that's separating you from God's best and His Lordship, don't listen to the voice of the devil. Whatever you give up for Jesus Christ, He's going to replace it with something better. The Spirit of God's dealing with you. You speak to Him. You respond. Peg's going to sing another verse. You do business with God. Come right now. someone calls and tells you, hey, she says, you know, I need prayer, and then you hear that word, the doctor found cancer. You know, we feel so helpless because there's nothing we can do. I don't know the cure. You don't know the cure. There's nothing that we can do. But boy, I'm so glad in the day in which we're living when someone calls and says, you know, I just, I feel so helpless and hopeless. I'm glad I can say I know the cure. It's Jesus Christ. Be the hands and the feet of the gospel this week. Be intentional. Be looking. Praying for your quiet times. Protect that time each morning. Get alone with God and His Word. Pray and then obey what you're learning. Hope to see you back here Wednesday night, 6.30. Don't forget this Wednesday after Bible study, uh, there'll be a uh, brief business meeting to entertain and discuss a motion for our Building Grounds Committee. Uh, you'll hear that this Wednesday. Youth will be meeting at 6.30. I hope you have a great week in the Lord. Despite all that's going on, friend, don't forget, God's on the throne. Jesus is coming back. Stay faithful to the mission. It won't be long. Amen? Be encouraged uh, in these days. Appreciate you being here this morning. Gary Rosenbaum, you dismiss us in prayer this morning, won't you?